The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences and is suitable for all ages. This is a Look and See audio production where entertainment is always free. Hiya folks, and welcome to Maudlin Behind the Scenes. The following show covers episodes 1 through 6 of series 3. It also features a special look at the amazing musical contributions of spare parts. Hello. 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 <laughs> Come on then, episode 1. <laughs> two. Aren't we at 2? We're at 2, right? I don't think we covered episode one, did we, in the last behind the scenes? We didn't cover episode well, one of this season. It's a two-parter. Oh. All right, we'll start at episode two, then. Unless you had something to say about episode one that you didn't say. Um, no, I just, just thought I really, I really enjoyed creating all the submarine sounds within that particular episode. Um, because what, what was most prevalent about that one was um, when the whole submarine starts to flood and there's the explosions and such like and uh, one of the things I do quite a lot of is I'm, I'm known for using all of the stereo field but what people may not quite grasp is that I also use um, quite a range between the foreground and the background as well and so during those scenes when those things going off you'll hear people screaming from the background and stuff as well that sort of low down in the mix and sort of off in the distance and things as well, which I kind of thought was, you know, a lot of fun. But anyhow, on to episode two. <laughs> well, episode two was the 12 Dancing Princesses, and this story is from Russia. It's Russian, Portuguese, Cape Verde Island, German, Iceland, Romanian, French, and Armenian. And there are other variations around the world. Again, that, I mean, that's one of the things that I've always loved about modeling was where you've got the different mythologies from. I mean, talk about a wide variety. You know, and there's some real obscure ones as well. <laughs> and I love that, by the way. I, I just love that about the series. You never cease to amaze me in terms of finding new mythologies to put into the series. Yeah, well, this one was interesting because it is so universal, but most people haven't heard of it. Agreed, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 would be, uh, I would have to admit that I, I, I don't think I've come across that particular version of the mythology before. I, I certainly think, though, that it is very definitely, the story is very universal. I think everybody can relate to the, to the storyline. I was speaking more of the fact that it occurs throughout all the ancient civilizations of the world without any particular common origin. All right. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I was just going to say that there were elements of the plot and the story in that particular mythology that I've seen echoed in other mythologies. You know, because one of the things I always enjoy about modeling is that when I see some of these, you know, when I see each episode, obviously I have to do quite a bit of research into the mythology myself so that when I'm creating underlays for the characters, I know what to create, <laughs> basically. Um, and, and it's one of the things I really enjoy about producing modelling, is that I have to do... I'm, I'm kind of almost... Part, part of the production sort of forces me to go and do the research, and I really enjoy that. Because I feel like I'm learning a little bit about these different cultures as well, just by reading up on their mythologies from each particular region of the world. Yeah, I really liked the effect that you did with the silver and gold and diamond trees. How did you get that? Um, I will again. That was um, that was something that I played with. Um, I, I had to do an awful lot of tweaking, basically, <laughs> on all the individual sound effects. And I think you'll find that a lot of the sound effects were things like um, chandeliers and glass sort of tinkling you know, together and stuff, you know, little tiny pieces of glass and, and bits of beading and all these different things. And what I did was I added a lot of treble EQ onto them to create that sort of 
how can I put it, the, the, the sort of metallic sort of chings and almost glimmering type sounds and um, I also had another, another one of my personal favourite effects is flange and the flange can give it quite, um, can take these original source files and it can create that sort of metallic almost robotic sounds if you put it onto a voice um, but certainly when you put them onto sort of glass tinkling and stuff like that, it really does give you that sort of shimmering sort of, um, I, I suppose, metallic leaf type sound. And it, it was a case of playing a lot with the EQ, playing with some, uh, a couple of the reverbs, perhaps, uh, I think I added a bit of delay into those. And of course the flange effects, that I'm, or sort of various flange effects that I overlaid, one on top of another. So it's not, it's not a single flange effect. And I think I actually overlaid a lot of those those tinkling glass sounds and, and sort of I think I managed to find some uh, metallic pieces tiny pieces of metal actually um, sort of knocking together and they created sort of little sort of chinging sort of sounds as well and I think I overlaid those with some wind and some um, uh, leaves uh, leaves blowing in the wind as well and I overlaid all of these things together <laughs> <laughs> with lots and lots of different effects and I think... It, this is for a two second effect, yes, amazing. This is for a two second effect. <laughs> Speaking of effects, I apologise for my neighbour mowing the lawn. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I can hear you. Um, you might oh good, it's very loud here. <laughs> but, but I certainly can't hear him this end. Um, I, to be honest with you, I, I mean that, that was quite an enjoyable bit to do on this particular episode, but... The one scene that, uh, it, it just, when I read the script a year ago, I kind of took a look at that one scene and I thought, I, I literally cannot wait to, to sort of mix this down. This is just going to be so beautiful um, to do. And modelling isn't all about these massive, great big explosions or helicopters crashing into the ground. You know, with modelling we have... Um, a lot of really subtle stuff going on in the mix and sometimes we have these really gentle delicate scenes as well and for me um, the whole ballroom scene was just absolutely extraordinary it, it was just an absolute joy to produce because I'm known as you know I'm, I'm known as Mr. Noise Incorporated <laughs> typically and um, you know, in fact, um, <laughs> Bill Holweg and I, you know, we are the brothers, bro Kaboom, right? the brothers of Kaboom, that's it, you know. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's such a joyful thing to be able to produce something that's just not like that at all, you know, that's just radically different. And I thought the, the interaction between Worsley and the princess was absolutely beautiful as well. The, the dialogue was just brilliantly written. And of course, the, um, the interaction between the two voice actors just came off absolutely perfectly. And again, one of the things that I've noticed with Maudlin is that with every other audio drama I've ever produced, for anybody anywhere, um, I always have to do some kind of tinkering with the lines, some kind of editing with the, the, um, the actual lines of dialogue and stuff, just to get them so that they fit together and sound natural together. But that was one scene where the two voice actors just seem to naturally gel. The, the, just, the, the lines just seem to naturally fit together without any tinkering whatsoever. It was just perfect. Because we recorded it live, right? Sorry? <laughs> we recorded live. We went over to the palace and we just recorded it. Well, of course we did, yeah. <laughs> Maudlin went on the road. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the thing is with Maudlin, like, um, between our regular cast, you know, the likes of Worsley and Atherton, Cecil, De Berg, um, Sophie, of course, you know, and Worsley, and even Colchester, the, all the lines just seem to just naturally gel together anyway. And it's only when we have, like, guest voice actors on the series that I have to sort of tinker nowadays. You know, and that, that was one of the things that happened from day one, by the way, on the series. Um, it, I, I just realised just how well the, our, our main cast actually um, gels together. You know, and it, I've never ever encountered that with any other audio drama series that I've ever produced for anyone anywhere, which I think is just, it's really impressive. But anyhow, in that particular scene, it was just so, the, the, the voice acting was just superb. 
Um, and, and, and like I said, it was just one of those scenes that was an absolute joy to do. Episode three. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. Moving along swiftly. <laughs> Across the pond. This was an Irish Celtic style legend about the hookahs. This is the first episode where a listener actually suggested the content before they decide always sort of come up with it, as it were. And remember, you can always send in suggestions to Martin. We might do them. <laughs> <laughs> it has been done. It has been known to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, when I was doing my research on the pukas, I realised that um, there's various puka mythologies. And of course, we went with the Irish one because it went, it came out in the same month as St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing about modelling, which is that we always, the episodes are written specifically for that month, with that month of release in mind, which is kind of cool as well. Yes, I can't wait for the October one this year. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> Wesley screams. <gasps> <laughs> Anyhow, um, it also marked this episode marked Jane's first appearance as well, or certainly her arrival at the college. Yeah. Which was nice. We get a, it was a, time to have another uh, female on the show. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Um, there was certainly a huge hole in the series when um, Sophie went over to Armana. Hmm. Um, and uh, boy, do I miss Fiona. <laughs> but, yeah. of course, Jane's here, you know, and Jane's an absolutely fantastic character. I, I love her sort of get up and go. She's great. <laughs> and great fun as well. And brilliantly voice acted, I might add, as well. Mm-hmm. Hey. I had a lot of very subtle things that you'll probably notice Kim doing in the next few episodes. Just very subtle voice things. I won't tell you because you're supposed to be listening and telling me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is it. I mean, one of the things I love about... um, In fact, one of the ways that I produce, in fact, is that I I don't... I'll, I'll quickly read a script, you know, as I've mentioned before on Behind the Scenes Shows... I'll quickly read a script, and then I won't read it. I physically will not bring myself to read the script again for another year. And so when it, by the time it goes into production, I've, I, I still have a vague memory of it, but <laughs> when certain things happen in the script, it's a um, surprise for me too at the time of production, and I think that comes across somehow in the production. <laughs> so it's just one of those things. And, uh, and I think... This is the first time we mentioned the railway station in Oxbridge. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah. And, and you would know about that, wouldn't you? You. Uh... <laughs> I, I would indeed. Um, <laughs> when, when I came down to the college, I, I went by train, guys. So uh-huh. yeah, I've actually been to that station too. <laughs> oh, one of the other things I really enjoyed about this episode as well was um, Joe Stoffko's um, I hope I pronounced that correctly, by the way, because <laughs> jo- Joe's actually a friend of mine, and um, I really loved his performance as the poker. Talk about, um, he was oh, yeah. so mischievous, and uh, there was a great scene in it as well where um, Westbrook <laughs> and Jane tried to, um, so I suppose, tie him down. I think the, the term used in the episode was wrangle him. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not a Westbrook, a proper sort of cowboy <laughs> reference. Uh, that was a great fun scene to mix as well. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the other things I tried to do is that when he's when the puka was in human form, I actually pictured him as this little tiny character. Um, well, he's actually a dwarf. Yeah. Not well, human. That, yeah. That, well, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, well, in human. <laughs> okay. Dwarf human. Same difference. <laughs> Same difference. What's a dwarf? A small human. Anyway. <laughs> so what I did was when it, when he's actually in dwarf form. <laughs> what I did was, of, of course, I actually lowered his voice a little bit in the mix, so he's actually a little quieter. Added a touchy reverb on, and then I also added a little bit of treble onto his voice as well, so it sounds that sounds like his voice is coming from all the way down there, you know. <laughs> 
And uh, it, it was such a charming performance. I absolutely loved that performance. <laughs> you want to go on to episode four? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, that was Cuckoo for the Birds. Uh, the title actually refers to a poem that the Emperor started, which is O Cuckoo of Wonder. And I have a reference from Little Mary Sunshine. I'm not sure if you've seen that musical, but um, quite amusing. It's set in Canada. All right. Um, I'd have to say no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of musicals, truthfully. But I think probably the only musical I've actually enjoyed would be um, Blues Brothers. <laughs> That's just me. That sort of that that particular film sort of. Um, appealed to my wacky sense of humour. <laughs> well, this particular one is also based on a Japanese fairy story. Forgive my pronunciation. Ginsumi Yorimasa. Wow. I would say it's probably a good attempt. <laughs> it's better than I could do. <laughs> <laughs> Rob would probably make fun of me for saying it that way. <laughs> um... Again, it was, um, in, in this episode, it was one of those great sort of little, I, I kind of get kicks out of, out of doing some of the smaller roles on various audio dramas as well, because they're the type of roles you can kind of fit in sort of very quickly between production projects and stuff. And um, I absolutely love playing the Emperor in this. And I kind of tried to do a... I suppose <laughs> I, I kind of tried to do a bit of a Charlie Chan type <laughs> sort of accent, <laughs> you know. It was because <laughs> I, I I didn't want to take it sort of too seriously, you know. I mean, after all, we are a sort of yeah, it's modelling. Yeah, this is modelling, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> so I wanted to try and ham it up a little bit, you know, and just have some fun with it, and it was great. I, I really enjoyed doing that one. Again, some of the um, the music in this particular episode was actually um, layers of um, Japanese percussion samples that I'd actually found and I actually overlaid them to create some of the pieces of music within that episode as well and again that was as a musician it's always fun um, to sort of play in a different sort of genre or a different musical style to what you're normally used to playing in um, typically um, as, a, as a I suppose it's, you know um, I'm sort of known for doing this sort of heavy electronic music, um, but I, I quite like doing the, the the other styles of music that are out there as well. And um, I, I actually do play drums and percussion, and so some of the actual samples, some of the actual um, Japanese instruments are actually mine. I actually own the instruments and actually played them on during the episode in the background, and you'll hear a lot of my own musical instruments playing in the background. Which was again, it was really, it was a lot of a lot of fun to do that. Well, that's great. Yeah, the artwork of the episode two um, was what inspired the episode. <laughs> Usually, I have a general concept, and then I go around looking for the art. In this case, I saw a beautiful illustration that I was archiving, mm -hmm. and it had someone that looked exactly like Westbrook. Right. Standing on a Japanese bridge from the World Fair, I think in the 30s or the 20s. And I thought, that's Westbrook. What's he doing in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I had to bring him there. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. And, and, and you know what? I, I, would, I would love to see that picture, by the way. Perhaps well, it's on the website. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> You'd base the artwork on this illustration, and what I'm saying is, I would like to see the original that you discovered in your um, collection or book or whatever. I don't think I kept it because I cropped it in on the art. Ah, okay. Um, but yeah, it was a really nice, nice piece of artwork. Um, again, and um, one of the other things that I really enjoyed about this was the whole storm creature um, coming up and creeping up during the storm that that was kind of one of my favorite um creatures on modeling um simply because of how how unusual it is as a creature because mm. 
you kind of um, none of the characters can see it because it's invisible of course you know and and so when they're having the big fight on the rooftop um, they, they, they are stumbling around quite a lot because obviously it's raining as well you know so the, the roof oh, yeah. the roof's obviously and dark and it's dark as well yeah and of course the fight in this giant storm creature in the dark in the rain <laughs> <laughs> on a rooftop that's slanted straight down yeah exactly <laughs> So there's a lot of stumbling going on during that scene, <laughs> and um, I, I I really enjoyed that book, but I really enjoyed that particular creature because it, it was quite a challenge to to sort of design it because I I, I really didn't I, I sort of had in mind this sort of giant almost a dragon type thing, but and then I thought no it can't be because it, it it's you know it's based around a storm, <laughs> mm-hmm. so so what you hear is these huge sort of thunderous sort of noises that go on for that creature sound and I added an absolute ton of bass onto those sounds as well and there's loads of them by the way I think there's about 16 of them all overlaid one over the top of another just to create the real depth you know and um, again so, some, some of those um, some of those layers I've sort of got panning between the left and the right speakers and doing all sorts of clever stuff with the stereo field as well just to sort of make it, really make it sort of um, feel like they were, like uh, Westbrook and Atherton were almost surrounded by the creature. Um, you know, because I imagined it to be absolutely huge. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's not going to be like, um, it's not going to be like somebody's pussycat up there. No, it's more like a, a balrog. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, you know. And so I really give it that thunderous sort of sound going on. And again, it was it was such a, a fun a fun scene because you, you, in amongst all the stumbling around and the fighting, we've got them jumping from across the rooftop as well, you know, and leaping from rooftop to rooftop too, which was kind of fun to do as well. Um, a lot going on in that episode, and again, <laughs> a really really enjoyable uh, production project. And I believe this is the first time we've heard De Berg giving his. Full techno babble. We all we knew he was a scientist, but I don't believe he had any nice long techno babble speech until this episode. No, I think you're right. Yeah. There. And, I got a few um, comments on it. Sorry. <laughs> I got a few comments on that. Finally, finally, we hear some science talk from the book. <laughs> <laughs> and again, um, uh, Stevens really made the book his own character. He's absolutely brilliant performance. He absolutely is the Berg, you know. <laughs> oh yes. Um, he's he just fantastic performance. Um, anyhow, moving on. <laughs> Episode five, Episode I guess. Five. Yeah. yeah. Clay flowers, and this is based upon a Greek myth. Uh, basically, Boreas was the north wind. Uh, he brought winter, he's old, he's violent, he's cruel, and he really wanted this beautiful neobit named Chloris. And poor Chloris has been through a lot. Uh, she was attacked several times, her people were slaughtered, and it is said that she was turned pale as a result from extended amounts of fear and he along comes the west wind which is Zephyr he's a young sort of handsome type demigodish look mm-hmm. and he brings the spring and flowers and fruit but she's been through so much that she doesn't trust him and so when he comes she just runs for it <laughs> and that's the beginning of this episode Eventually, of course, they finally talk, and it turns out he wants to make her a goddess. So, it does have a happy ending, eventually. Yes, it does, yeah. And, I mean, he was quite, um, the voice acting again, he was played quite cantankerous, and exactly as you described there as well, you know, he was quite a a nasty piece of work. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's Zephyr. Boreas is the nasty piece of work. I eliminated him because yeah. I like to keep voice actors as low as possible for casting purposes. Yeah, well, I, I, I meant actually on both characters, but um, 
Yeah, it was re- I, I meant on both characters that the voice acting was spot on. I was, I was sort of, you know, getting to the other character. <laughs> As well, I, had, I had commented on him there. <laughs> but again, re- really good performances and um, it, it, the, the, um, the real nasty piece of work. Um, I imagined him as one of those horrible bats from The Wizard of Oz. Bat-like creatures. You know, really horrible things, you know. And um, played to perfection, sort of on the voice acting side. But again, the the tender side of the the West Wind was played beautifully as well, you know. I mean, it was such a gentle, um, I, I, I suppose, sensitive performance there as well. And it... Between the two, we've got this great balance in the episode, I think, going on as well. And that's another thing I've enjoyed about Maudlin as well, is that every episode seems to be perfectly balanced. You know, lots of great little things going on, you know, and and really, really interesting to listen to and fun, of course. (laughs) Um, We also see Jane's house for the first time as well. Yeah, and um, when they're walking towards that house, the, the walking out of the walking out of Oxbridge, and, mm-hmm. and and going towards you know out into the sticks, <laughs> and through the countryside and down little narrow paths and things like this, mm. and um, again that was that was interesting in terms of changing the background ambiences as well, because obviously we had some new locations as well for modelling. I love the insects that you put in. It really felt like a warm summer day out in the field. (laughs) (laughs) Some of those are actually, I mean, some of the backgrounds that I use on Maudlin, by the way, some of my own samples that that I've actually recorded myself. And in that particular episode, um, uh, believe it or not, I was actually actually stood in a cornfield not long before I put that episode into production. Uh, probably about a week beforehand, and I actually recorded those with a little portable recorder. So the insects that you hear are actually were actually recorded by me. Oh. So uh, again, it's well, like I said, I mean, one of the things that I've done with production or modeling is because every episode is actually um, is is set for each individual month with with the release month in mind. Um, I always look out the window and see what the weather's like. And very often I'll actually go out and get some outside recordings as well. So I'll actually <laughs> know this is exactly what it's like <laughs> in it. Brilliant. Um, and some of the other, I mean, some of the other stuff I've done as well is, um, do you remember on one of the earlier episodes we had the, the whole chapel sequence? The mm-hmm. background, oh, yeah. background ambience for that was recorded <laughs> by me as well. So I've, I've done it quite a bit on modelling. Sorry, excuse me. I, I've actually gone and used my own... Um, or created and recorded my own background ambiences rather than using stock footage because one of the things I was always determined um, to do on the series was to really try and get this series to sound you know, as unique as possible because it, it is unique in terms of the writing you know, and so clearly, you know, the production has to follow suit you know, otherwise, you know, we're not going to get that collaboration working quite so well and um, so I do, um, I create a lot of the different sound effects, particularly the magical sound effects. Um, all of those are created by me. And um, again, with the, a lot of the background ambiences, again. And what I do as well is, um, when I actually create one of those background ambiences, as soon as I've used it on modeling, I actually delete it off my hard drive completely so that I can never use it again on anything else other than modeling. Oh. <laughs> sort of modeling. So it's absolutely unique to that episode. And uh, it's just something that I love doing, you know. And I, and I want to kind of keep the series sounding fresh as well, all the time. And in fact, I do that with a lot of the sound effects as well. Um, you know, when I create, the, not just the ambiences, but when I create sound effects as well, I'll tend to delete those as well. So that when I, um, when I go to produce the next episode, I'm kind of forcing myself to create a whole bunch of new ones for the next episode. Um, and I, I believe that this episode I sent over a lot of actual pictures of her house and the surrounding areas. Does that influence it at all? <laughs> Actually, it does, yeah, very much so. Um, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I was talking to uh, Mark Kalita, who obviously um, 
you know, Atherton the other night on Skype, and I was actually literally just saying that um, since I actually visited the actual college and Oxford itself, um, the way that I produced the series changed quite dramatically um, because now I know I've got a whole concept in my mind now of distances. I know that if you stood on, say, the lawn at the college, for example, I know what sound mm-hmm. effects you're going to be able to hear going on in the background. I know that the deer are going to be quite distant. I know that yeah. you might just possibly hear the the, um, the stream or the beck or something. It's a river, yeah. Well, the river then, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look much like a river to me. But it, it does look more like a stream, yeah. Yeah, it's quite small, isn't it? Um, but it, it's <laughs> but you, you know these, you know where these things go on. And so, yeah, when I actually see photographs of new locations and stuff, it very much influences because it, I, at least I know what to create. And I've got a little better idea of... of, of what sort of um, background sort of sounds to put in place there. Mm-hmm. I know what you would hear. For example, the first time we saw Jane, for example, was they were actually in a street, and I think you sent me a, um, a photograph of the street where Jane arrived, you know, yeah. <laughs> with her bag <laughs> as well. And again, it was. I took one look at the photograph and I thought, yeah, I, can, I know what's going to go on in there. I know that every now and again you're going to possibly hear a car go past, but not very frequently. No. Just a just an occasional thing going past, you know, and and so yeah, it very much influences me, and I enjoy seeing those as well, because it, it sort of brings the series to life, and and I I, th- I think our listeners appreciate seeing those type of photographs as well, you know, because I think it actually brings the series yeah. to life for them too, and it, it it's just a lot of fun, again. And I believe Jane's house, I would say, is about a 45 to an hour walk away. It's about, it's about three miles. Yeah, which, which, is why we've, we've, um, <laughs> which is why we've got some scenes separate and music in. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? You know, 45 minutes of walking <laughs> right in the middle of an episode. <laughs> I don't quite think that would work. I think our listeners might just get a little bit peeved by that. <laughs> um, one of the other scenes that I really enjoyed doing in this one as well, by the way, is is the one between Cloris and Deberg, when Cloris starts to speak and all of these flowers come out. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, we've got these two characters stood in this huge pile of flowers to the point at which they actually can't move. Right. <laughs> and so that was that was an interesting scene to produce as well. And again, well, it's very common in in fairy stories for a beautiful woman to have flowers come out when she speaks as right. a representation of that beauty. But every single time, ever since I was little, I was thinking. Yeah. But what if she stands and talks for a while? Wouldn't she be buried? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Logically? Yeah, I mean, crazy, you know. I mean, and, and the other thing as well is, like, how on earth do you, do you capture that in audio? Because after all, flowers, flowers don't... You know, if you drop a flower on the floor, it doesn't make an awful lot of noise. <laughs> you know? Um, so you, trying to recreate that in audio is quite difficult. Um, so I think my solution was that um, I, I think I added some sort of magical sort of sound effect in there to, to sort of represent the flowers coming out of her mouth as she was speaking. And then um, when they actually started to pile up, I think I used things like um, falling feathers, something like that as a sound effect. You know, so you know when somebody empties out a, uh, a pillowcase full of um, right. Yeah, I used something like that. I think, if I'm not very much mistaken, um, to create that. And of course, we've got a new character as well. Oh, yes, the housekeeper. <laughs> oh, and I think you're missing another one as well. <laughs> oh, no, who am I missing? <laughs> oh, no! Smokes, I'll give you the clue, he smokes a pipe. Oh, that narrows it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I believe that you're referring to C.S. Lewis's brother, Major Lewis. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and again, you know, wel- welcome to the cast, Michael. 
<laughs> it was uh, a marvellous job on that one. And I had a lot of fun, by the way, digging up sort of pipe smoking sound effects. <laughs> and this is the God's honest truth. I, I swear to God, this is absolutely true, right? I, I absolutely, right, I, I, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours. Be, be, before I actually um, produce an episode, I will go and look for specific sound effects just so I have things to hand when, when I'm producing. And one of the sound effects I really wanted to get hold of uh, was some pipe smoking sound effects. And I spent hours just trying to find the right ones, you know. And then when I actually... <laughs> you're going to love this. When I actually heard, when I heard his lines... <laughs> there he is doing his very own pipe smoking sound effects. <laughs> so, all these pipe smoking sound effects are I spent hours trying to find the right ones. I ditched them all in favour of using <laughs> using, the, using his own, <laughs> basically. Um, because it sounded so much better, you know, because obviously it, it's coming from the same voice actor. It's in like an exact match. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes even in inserting drinking, yeah. if you have the same voice actor doing it, it sounds very different than if you just put in some generic drinking sound effects. I agree with that actually as well. Um, and even um, if somebody's out of breath and they're panting mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. it's, it's exactly the same in, in that capacity too. In fact, um, there's, there's been occasions when I've produced the odd episode and we've maybe had a big action sequence coming up and the voice actor's not giving me any panting sort of sounds or sort of, you know, hit sounds, you know, and things like that, you know, type sound effects. And so I've gone back to the voice actor and said, can I have some of these, please? You know, it, it's, um, I think it really adds to the production, you know, and it adds to the authenticity of it anyway. And, and, and then you get an exact matches rather than using something generic, you know. I tend not to, t- I tend not to use generic sound effects. Uh, very often, on particularly on modelling, anyway, um, because I really enjoy creating my own, basically. <laughs> um, anyhow, episode six. Unless you have anything more to say on episode five. No, no. Episode six was Gozen Zarevna. She's Russian, and it's originally the Zarevnas of the underground kingdom. For those that might not know, Zarevna is since simply princess in Russian. It was made famous by the series of paintings by Viktor Vasnetsov, a Russian artist in the late 19th century, and they are online if you'd like to look at them, some beautiful illustrations mm-hmm. of the various princesses. And um, absolutely my favourite episode this season. Yes, definitely. Thus far. <laughs> uh, there is so much going on. In the background, it is. It, the, the, I mean, I put an. I, I, I would have to say that I probably put more into this episode than any other episode this season in terms of hours, you know, production time basically. And it, it did be, because there were certain things that I absolutely had to get right. And um, of course, one of those would was um, of course the dragon. <laughs> Eric. Mm. <laughs> um, Again, it was, um, as most people know, that um, I, I voiced the dragons in, in modelling in terms of the, the hoofs and the puffs and stuff. These were all custom-created sound effects. And now to try and give them a voice, that was a little tricky to do. Because, <laughs> I mean, at the one point I wanted to make him sound aggressive, but I didn't want him overly aggressive, because this is modelling, you know, and it's a family show, you know. <laughs> So I, I didn't want to make him overly aggressive, so I kind of made him more cantankerous than aggressive, sort of uh, more sort of William Hartnell, Doctor Who. Yeah, it, you're right. That is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's how I played him. You know, <laughs> that's that's who I had in mind because I didn't want to. Again, like I said, I didn't want to be overly aggressive with it. I wanted him to. Be, He's not a nice dragon, basically, you know. Um, well, as dragons go, he's fairly friendly. Well, yeah, I mean, at least he didn't um, torch somebody. No. <laughs> he didn't set anybody on fire. <laughs> but, but and he was trying to save the princesses. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. 
But anyway, he was, he was just a lovely character to voice, and trying to find the right voice. I mean, he only has three lines in the whole episode, <laughs> and I must have spent something like seven hours getting those three lines right, <laughs> because I, I actually could, I, I, I was really struggling just to get the right voice, or the, at least the voice that I'm happy with, you know, because obviously dragons are synonymous with maudlin now. And so, if we get one to speak, it's got to be done just right, <laughs> you know. Um, and so each time I was doing these different voices and different variations on the voice, I, I wasn't getting uh, to a point where I was happy. And so, you know, three lines, seven hours, <laughs> complete nuts. <laughs> um, one of the things I loved doing on this one as well was the uh, in the underworld, you describe in the script that everything is metallic in this particular underworld and wow <laughs> you know i mean it even says in the script you know that uh, you know the, the rivers streams birds trees everything is metal everything literally everything so again there's lots of these little metallic sort of ching type sounds and i added sort of crystal sounds in there as well which almost give a metallic resonance when you add um, some flange and treble eq to them as well, and there's loads of little bits I added on. In fact, I think you'll find that one of the background ambience layers, as well, is actually a um, it's a um, it, it, it's an ambience sound effect that I found based on an old, almost disused railway line. So you have the sort of clanking of the uh, metal tracks and things like that as a train goes over tracks, and you've got things like um, cargo boxes being unloaded and stuff. And again, what I did was I tweaked that one quite a bit. As a, a, you know, I took the source sample and tweaked it with like a zillion effects just to bring out those metallic, it's like almost, almost a metallic luster to the sound. And um, really, really played with that one. Even the water, I've got some water running in there as well. And again, I tweaked the water as well with sort of various flanges and different EQ settings and stuff as well to try and make that sound metallic too. Um, so that was, it was quite a bit of work just to get the background right. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the original story, I had to cut for time, but there were three princesses, and one of them was yeah. silver, in a silver realm. And there's a beautiful visual in the story. Mm -hmm. She comes riding on a silver horse right. through the surf, and the silver surf is being splashed up, and it's very well described in, in the original story. I'd recommend going and reading it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually read a summary of the story, <laughs> basically. And you're right, it's certainly in the terms of the, the sort of plot highlights that I read, it was, um, it was a fascinating piece. And it had, but by the way, the, 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 um, the highlights that I read actually had those descriptions in it. Or some really? of them, anyway. Yeah, so there was, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there fascinating stuff and what a great concept you know and one of the things i loved about that one was when um when our characters from the real world <laughs> start turning metallic as well <laughs> you know poor worsley's like hand that's <laughs> 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 with worsley's hand and we get the the, the obligatory worsley scream you know <laughs> as his hand well, turns into it's interesting to see how nigel uh, reacts to it by of course yeah! Whereas Jane, his cousin, reacts to it going, Oh, I love this fucking gold! I should get one! <laughs> <laughs> the opposite! <laughs> yeah, the exact opposite, in fact. And, and I must admit, uh, it's one of my favourite, again, one of my favourite lines this season in the whole show was that one with Jane. <laughs> you know, this would look great in gold. Yeah, I should get one. <laughs> 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 and then, of course, we had the big eagle sequence as well. You know, the riding oh, yeah. giant eagle from the underworld to the college. That was fun to do as well. Yeah. But the amusing is that, even though this is a, in a very ancient original, it, I couldn't help but think of this scene in uh, Harry Potter. Right. Where he rides, I think it's the hippogriff, yeah. over Hogwarts. A beautiful scene where he goes across the lake. I think he's in Prisoner of Azkaban. Do you know what I think? I think that was the exact, the, the exact scene of, in, in one of the Harry Potter films that I had in mind when I was actually producing it. Really? Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure at some point I've thought of that particular scene. Um, but it's, it's such a great scene, you know. I know. It's, it's such a wonderful, um, you know, it's so brilliantly written. And, and some of the, I think as well, I think it's the very first time as well um, in a modelling script as well where you actually asked our voice actors to um, react in character and sort of ad-lib a bit. Oh, yes. yes. And, and the ad-libs were fantastic, especially um, Bruce's. <laughs> that was awesome, you know. It was just, he, he absolutely, I mean, all of our cast absolutely get their characters, you know, and it's just brilliant, you know. So I reckon we should do more of that. <laughs> well, I have started putting it uh, into the credits a bit, uh, yeah. coming up, if you're listening carefully, yeah. Yeah, mm. it, it's fun. I mean, I, I think that's great, because they're adding so much, and that was that was such a fun thing for them to do, I think. You know, it certainly was a fun thing for me to put into the mix, anyway, just to see what they'd come up with. <laughs> <laughs> and they came up with some great material. Um, <laughs> And of course, one of my, um, another one of my favourite bits, and again, I've got so many favourite moments in this episode. <laughs> another one of my favourite moments is the whole bit. I, I love the concept that you created where, whereby it's a hole in the ground with a bucket coming down. <laughs> <laughs> that was, oh, that was so inspired, you know. I couldn't resist sort of, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but when, uh, when Jane's been hoisted up, you actually, you're with Jane's perspective. And sort of yeah, I love that, how you change perspectives here and there. You could tell who was up top and who was down below. Yeah. yeah, and I sort of moved it as well. So as she was gradually going up the, um, up, up, I suppose, up the hall, basically, <laughs> <laughs> um, she actually sort of, um, the voices down below get lower, uh, sorry, get lower. And the voices above get closer and louder, you know. And so I kind of, I really enjoyed that sort of thing as well. I'm playing with that sort of depth of um, space within the mix as well. That, that was fun to do too. Um, but what a great idea! I mean, did you have that in mind? You know, when you wrote that particular scene, did you think, oh, I wonder what Stevie will do? So, <laughs> or, or, or was it just something that just kind of just came out and that was it? Or did well, in the original, there's a hole, and I can't remember what was there. It wasn't a bucket. It was something very difficult, uh, just a rope or something. And I thought, that's a bit true. Yeah, I think I'll put a bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great as well. I mean, what a great concept. Yeah, because when you add a metal bucket into the whole mix, you can have it sort of clanging and stuff against the side walls of the hole and all sorts of things, you know, and it makes loads of sound effects as people are climbing in and out of it as well. So it, it does kind of, uh, it makes more sense than just a plain rope, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's you mentioned who'd want to climb up and down it. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah, that would take some doing as well, I would have thought. I would leave Wesley up above. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, and... Again, one of the one of the coolest things that I think I've, one of the coolest bits of feedback I've ever had, um, I think on modelling, was when I did the hair combing bit, and I was so stunned. That, <laughs> that was everyone's favourite. Yeah, I was so stunned that everybody that, that I got so many comments and so much feedback about the hair combing of the sorcerer, you know, the sorcerer's hair combing. And again, it was—it's it, one of the joys of producing the series. It's—it's it's that the, the the people that listen to modelling, they don't necessarily just love the the big, extravagant sort of sound effect sequences as such. They really appreciate the subtle stuff as well. And that really—I um, was thrilled to bits with that. You know, it's one of the nicest pieces of feedback I think I've had. You know, was when people really picked up on something very very subtle that I did in the mix, and they really enjoyed it. And the, the sorcerer voice actor did a fantastic job as well. It's a very brief scene, but very memorable. <laughs> um, what a distinctive voice he has. Yeah. Um, I, tell, I mean, he, he's the type of uh, voice actor that I can imagine he's... Um, I, I'm pretty sure I've never produced him before. And um, I, I just know he's going to crop up a lot in, in other, other series, maybe even modelling again, in fact. 
at some point playing a different character. Mm. Um, he's fantastic voice. Um, just so rich and smooth, you know. Um, Maybe we should get him back to do Atherton's father. <laughs> hey, that'd be good. <laughs> he's he's certainly got the voice for it anyway. And um, I mean, one of the things I did with that sorcerer, by the way, was that I added a lot of bass onto his voice as well. Um, because it, it did describe in the script that he's kind of quite large. <laughs> in fact, I think Worsley comments on it, doesn't he? That's the largest man I think I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean his footsteps are really thunderous, and even on the footsteps, I put quite a bit of bass onto his footsteps as well as he's leading the characters through the house, just to give him that you know sense of scale. <laughs> so that was fun. I mean, I, I mean, I, I really do enjoy um, doing uh, doing those type of sequences. And I love it when we get a new voice actor on modelling. Mm. It's uh, it's great to produce all these diff- all these great names, you know, and all these great um, voice actors. And we have because every episode is different with different mythologies and different characters. Again, it it, it allows a lot of um, a lot of freedom for me, um, you know, in terms of being able to work with more and more of these fantastic voice actors. Oh yes. Yeah. And I believe this, this latest casting call, we've gotten a huge response. The one before, very little, but this time, it's going to be good. <laughs> I think so as well. In fact, um, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, we've had so many auditions this time around, and it's a joy to see that as well. And, and yeah. from quite a lot of um, new voice actors as well, or new to us anyway. Yes. Yeah. Quite a lot of them have done quite a lot of work in the past. In fact, some of them have done quite a lot of commercial projects in the past as well. Um, so to get those sort of new voices in the mix is going to be brilliant, you know. And and then the other thing as well is I think you're going to have a heck of a tough time trying to <laughs> trying to find <laughs> <find> the past. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's going to be one of those situations where you go. Right, Stevie, I'm, for this particular character, I've narrowed it down to three, <laughs> or five, or <laughs> whatever, you know, and I'm really, you know, and, and I, I just know you're going to have a tough time, because we've had some really good auditions as well, I mean, they've been brilliant, um, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> Oh, one of the the other things I like to talk about on this one as well, this particular artwork, uh, this particular episode, was the artwork. Oh, yes. The artwork. Someone I think we know did the artwork. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there was... (laughs) You might just know him anyway. (laughs) What I did was, um, uh, of course, um, Broken Sea has its own resident fantasy artist. And I thought... Hey, if we're going to do the dragons, oh, oh, we're going to have a dragon speak in this episode. We have to do something special with the artwork, you know. So uh, I sent I sent good old Mr. Hallweg a quick email and said, can you draw me a dragon? What you like at drawing dragons? In fact, I think it was actually the original question. What you like at drawing dragons? Dragons are basically my my thing, he says. Oh, fantastic. Can you do me one then? <laughs> And uh, draw me what you imagine the dragons to look like on Maudlin. And so I got this just absolutely phenomenal um, hand-drawn sketch. Um, oh, yeah. Me, and it was absolutely fabulous. And um, incidentally, um, because I play Eric the Dragon, um, Bill's signing <laughs> that. He's going to send it to me in the post. The actual oh, really? Sketch, the original sketch. And so I'm actually going to put that up on the wall of my studio. That's fantastic. Isn't it? That's just the coolest thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, so, so I've got this just incredible sketch, hand-drawn sketch of a dragon. And so I, I, I spent quite a lot of time shading in Bill's sketch. Um, and I think it was about, about three hours just shading, just shading the sketching because it was such an incredible sketch. I didn't want to ruin it by putting too much... Uh, detail in it, you know. It, it's uh, I didn't want to ruin what what Bill had already done, you know. <laughs> I think that's what I was most nervous about, actually. You know, 
<laughs> yeah, because I've colored a couple of his sketches too, and they're, they're so detailed that I'm almost afraid to touch them. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. In fact, um, some of our listeners might not be aware of this, in fact, but um, there was a, a, a poster that was um, compiled for another Broken Seashore. Mm-hmm. And um, Bill hand drew all the characters in it, and Alexa actually colored uh, colored one of the characters, and I colored the other one. And so there was there was a, a sort of a modeling sort of flavor to this particular <laughs> one. <laughs> creative team being involved in it. Anyway, it was uh, octopoids, wasn't it? it or something like yeah, that. and it's these octopoids. I remember because I was yeah. the poet queen. Ah, oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Because <laughs> you coloured the octopoid, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> and I, I coloured the giant robot with the human brain. <laughs> so, it was kind of fun to do. But anyhow, um, back to our modelling artwork. <laughs> um, what I did was, um, once, I'd, once I'd shaded Bill's um, sketch, I, I sort of composited him, I composited Eric into an actual photograph of the location where Eric appears in the episode. So it's the exact location. So it's totally authentic. Mm-hmm. And I thought what, I, I thought another cool thing would be to have the dragon sort of um, standing perched atop the model in title as well. Which was, yeah. yeah. And um, of course, obviously, there was no shadow on the ground, so I had to, I had to hand draw the shadow in as well, <laughs> which wasn't there originally. Um, there was also a quick version with the rift, and that's when we discovered how different our two opinions of what the rift looked like were. Yeah, there was, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's very true. Um, I don't know whether we should perhaps describe to our listeners what we thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, simply on the grounds that I, th- I think... Uh, yeah, but, but basically, j- just for everyone else's benefit here, eventually Alexa and I kind of... I, I did a version of this artwork where there was a, a my version of the rift in the background, the rift I was that. <laughs> and the dragon was coming out of it, and um, we, we agreed between us that um, after several discussions that we would never ever show the rift in a piece of artwork, mm-hmm. the modelling rift, because we, it's one of the elements of the show that we kind of want to keep, um, you know, for the listener's imagination, basically, you know. And, and and to not really depict it, um, because our di- our opinions of, of of what we felt the rift was like were completely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating again, you know. But, um, oh yes, yes. It, it was definitely an interesting exercise. <laughs> I would be interested to hear what other people think it looks like, but yeah. at the same time, if it, I don't want to start talking about it because then it might come out and <laughs> yeah exactly I, I, I don't want to I mean I don't want to describe to our listeners how I see it yeah. <laughs> it's for definite um, but we, we sort of um, yeah we did agree didn't we not to not to sh- sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> not to actually depict it in any way <laughs> visually that is <laughs> so, but yeah I'd be interested to hear what other people felt it yeah. um, it looked like it, it looks like as well you know I mean is it a giant wall? Uh, like a hole in space? What is it? Is it a stargate? No. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it a swirling thing? What is it? You know, like, a, like a swirling whirlwind? Or what? Is it, is it water? Or a B5 jump, uh, B5 jump sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. It could, exactly, yeah. I it mean, could be anything. Exactly. I mean, and what do the characters look like when they appear through the rift as well? I mean, do, do they arrive like Star Trek transporters? You, you, you know, <laughs> how, how does it happen? You know, I mean, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear what our listeners have to say on that as well. It's kind of curious, isn't it? It's one of those things. And incidentally, um, Alexa and I both feel that, that, that whatever anybody comes up with, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically. Absolutely. You know, it's we want that to be open to the imagination, and however you see it in your mind's eye, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> Although I did give subtle hints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to give any. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, 
I think I think we've waffled a little bit now. So. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so I think we'll we'll put an end to this uh, latest pink teapot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So take care of yourself, Alexa. And until next time, guys. Is it still recording yet or not? <laughs> Welcome to the newest behind-the-scenes edition, a music segment. The most influential music of Maudlin comes from Spare Parts, two musicians who are famous in the Civil War reenactment circles and little-known anywhere else, which is unfortunate. Liz Stell and Bill Matheson create some of the most beautiful period music available. Each of their songs is the correct tempo to dance to. The Maudlin theme is a dance called Shatish. I would show it to you, but that would be rather tricky over audio. Other musicians who have performed with spare parts include Frank Orsini, Eric Buddington, Ruthie Domfield, Mark Bagden, George Wilson, Donnie McLoon, and Kathy Whitesides, mostly fiddlers. Spare Parts has been around for over 20 years and plays everything from Regency English country dance to modern passionate tango. If you live near Massachusetts or in Washington, they often perform live and you can even book them. Don't miss the 2008 film Bright Star about John Keats with Abby Cornish and Ben Whiteshaw. It features several waltzes by Spare Parts and selections of which you've heard right here on Maudlin, so I'm sure you'll recognize them during the dance scenes. Most of all, stop by bfv.com slash spare parts and pick up some CDs. Really, you can own the Maudlin theme and more. They're only $15 US. I use mine constantly. Best of all, you can learn some of the dances on the CDs via Google or YouTube. They're a lot of fun to do, even on your own, and excellent exercise. They would make great background music for a Pride and Prejudice party, or a stressful long car trip. Without further ado, I present the unabridged Maudlin theme by the incomparable Spare Parts.